Nothing like having your cell phone go off in service, especially when you're the guy on the stage. <laughs> Thanks, bud. I'll tell you, it's my uh, joy to be with you um, this, this morning. Um, Chris is on vacation, and last week we were talking about getting ready for the service, and he said, Chad, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, I think so. He said, you uh, got your three points? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, are you, you know, are you ready? Are you nervous? And I said, I'm terrified. I, I, and I honestly am. <laughs> this, this frightens me. Um, um, but, but he said, okay, well, and I said um, to him, I said, Chris, you're very hard to follow. And, and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're so good and so comfortable up on stage that, you know, when guys like me come up on the stage, it's just tough to follow. I mean, just take just, just last week, for example, just last week, Chris preached an amazing sermon last week on, you know, loving like Jesus. And at the end of the service, you know, two thirds of the people came forward. You know, now, yes, it was back to school, but still, how do you follow that? How do you follow that? Tough, tough. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to camp out there today. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I hope you follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, This week, we sent out a tweet and a post that asked you to study or asked you to read all four chapters of the book of Ruth. How many of you? read all four chapters in prep for today's message in the book of Ruth. Just me and the camera guy. <laughs> so just us. Well, anyways, that's okay. I hope you know the story because we are going we to walk through it today and we're going to learn some things, I think, that will really speak some truth into our lives about leaving a legacy of faith, a redemption of grace to our, to our families. You know what fascinates me about the book of Ruth is that it is one of two books. There are 66 in the Bible, 66 books, but there is one of, this is one of two books that are named after a woman. After a woman. And this is especially true because who we're going to study and read about today are both women and they're both moms, Ruth and, Ruth and Naomi. And if you know anything about the story, then you know that this story has everything to do with the plan not going according to plan, right? Because if you're with me on this, If you know the story, then you know Naomi was living in Bethlehem with her husband, and a severe famine came up, and there was no work, and there was no food, and so they leave, they leave the town of Bethlehem, and they go to a land of Moab, right? And there's four of them. There's Naomi, and her husband, and her two sons. And they leave, and they go, and both of the boys, when they get there, they fall in love, and they marry these these Moabite women, and all of a sudden, Ruth's or Naomi's family of four becomes a family of six, and life is great until her husband dies, and then her two sons pass away. And I am sure that in that moment, Naomi must have thought, this is not going according to plan. I mean, I thought the plan was different. Lord, I thought I worshiped the true God who had control in this world, whose sovereignty, you know, is over everything, then why is this happening? And I know for me and probably for all of us from time to time, we ask the Lord those questions. Why this? Or if only that? Or how come whatever? And I am sure, I am sure that in those moments after she has buried her husband and her two kids, I am sure she's asking herself, Lord, what's going on? Lord, if only we never left to Moab, would this have happened? Lord, if whatever. Well, Naomi has a very hard conversation with her two daughter-in-laws, and she says, you know what? I'm going to go back home where i got family and friends. 
I'm going to go back home, but you too, you're not from, you're not Jewish, so, you know, why don't you stay here, go back to your families, go back to your friends, remarry, have kids, live the rest of your life, never think of me again. And one of the two daughter-in-laws, one of two, that, that, that's exactly what she does. She, she leaves and she goes back home, and we don't read of her really ever again. But the other one, Ruth, who this book is named after, Ruth decides to stay with Naomi and to go back, to go back home, back to, back to Bethlehem, and to live with Naomi. Now, Naomi is going through an intense time, but Naomi has eyes to see that God is at work even in the mundane part of her life. So she goes, she goes back home, and while she's there, the story takes another amazing turn because there is a man who owns a field, and, and his name is, is Boaz. And, and Boaz was a, was a wealthy man. He owned a couple of fields, and, and it was harvest time. And so what would happen at harvest time is the workers would go through the field, and they would pick the wheat, and they would pick the corn, and they would pick the stuff, and then whatever fell to the ground, whatever was on the ground, he let just the beggars and those who had no food and those who, are, who, are, who had a difficult spot in life, he allowed them to go into the field and pick up anything that they had left. Ruth is one of those people. She has no food. She has no one to provide for her. It's just her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she goes to the field to glean the fields to get enough food just to eat for the day. Have you ever gleaned fields before? I know it's kind of a weird question, but my, my dad, um, we, we grew up, I grew up just outside of Plainfield at, near the popcorn fields. And after the combine tractors would go through the fields, my dad, we would go the next day and pick up the popcorn. Then we would pop it in brown paper bags and we'd watch the Colts play. It was lots of fun for us, lots of fun. But we would glean, we would glean the fields. And so I, I kind of get a little similar story here of kind of what Ruth's going for. The difference here is we had, they had big combine tractors, right? And, and so they pick up most. But if you're hand-picking the wheat, if you're hand-picking the corn, you're probably not going to drop that much, right? Because it's all hand-done back in the day. And so there wasn't very much, but Ruth, nonetheless, this is a source of food, and so she, she goes. And so here we meet Boaz, the bachelor from Bethlehem, and he marries Ruth, the Moab, the, the maiden from, from Moab. And so eventually they get married, and the story continues to grow, and we see the snapshot of the Lord's hand at work from the very beginning, even before Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem to go to Moab. Even before that, we see the Lord's hand as he is unveiling the story. Now, we talk about Ruth, and she gets a lot of the you know, glory from the book. And we talk about Boaz because he redeems the story. You know, he comes into, to, you know, and we talk about the baby that's born a little bit later in the story. We're going to get to that. But one of the characters that often gets overlooked is Naomi herself. But it's Naomi's story that really leaves this legacy of faith instead of a legacy of bitterness. Because Naomi had lost most of that which she knew, right? Her husband and her two kids, and now she's, she's in a foreign land with foreign, you know, daughter-in-laws. And, and, and she just doesn't know where to turn. And, and she, she, she could have been bitter, certainly could have been. But she left a legacy of faith, and that's what we're going to dive into today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible, and if you turn from the right direction, if your Bible's facing the right direction, then you'll find it pretty easily. But feel free to use the app or uh, your phone, smartphones or whatever. You can sign up for all of our social media stuff later. You don't have to do that now. The Colts don't play till 8 o'clock, so there's really nothing really to check into. So let's dive in together here into the book of Ruth. So we're going to pick the story up in Ruth chapter 1. 
And Ruth chapter 1, this is, the, this is the part here. This is the story. This is the snapshot. This is what the Bible gives us when Naomi and Ruth leave Moab and arrive in Bethlehem. So her family has died. She's down to one daughter-in-law, and they are on their way back home to Bethlehem. And the Bible records for us the event when they arrive home. The Bible says, you read along with me. Read along with me in your, in your devices or on your, in your Bibles. Make sure you look. Make sure you look. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 1, So the two women went out until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town is stirred because of them. And the, woman, the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So this is her reintroduction into Bethlehem. And when she gets there, it sparks memories from when she used to live there before. Back when her husband was healthy and strong and her kids were growing and robust and could help do chores around the house. But in this moment, when she sees her extended family and her extended friends, all of a sudden the pain comes right back and she says, I'm not happy anymore. I'm not as fulfilled as I once was. In fact, I'm bitter inside because God, you have done this to me. And she wants nothing to do with it. But can't you sense her pain? Can't you see that in the story? The Almighty has done this to me. He has afflicted me. I was happy, but now, but now, I'm, but now I'm bitter. The Christmas card that goes on the fridge is going to look much different than what it did when she previously lived in Bethlehem. Now, Naomi could have stayed in this legacy of bitterness. She could have been bitter and just kind of left that and this be the last time that we read of her, but it's not. In fact, she, she is changed by the story. She is changed as her heart is open so that the Lord can work through her. And who could have blamed her had she decided to stay bitter? Who could have blamed her? I mean, after all, everything that she thought was going to happen ended up not happening. And sometimes we face a lot of pain in our lives, whether it's from, from work or from difficult circumstances or, probably, or maybe just living in the glorious ordinary. Sometimes our lives are hard and we face a lot of pain. But God's intention is not for you to leave a legacy of bitterness but God's intention is for you to leave a legacy of redemption, to see God's hand at work in the entire story, to see God at work as he is unveiling his plan. That's what enables us to leave a different type of legacy because we all go through hard times. We all have moments of our life where we ask God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you had a plan for that? Because look how this has affected me. But like Naomi... Like Ruth, we need to have eyes to see the redemption part of the story, not necessarily the bitter part of the story. You know, one of the things that I love about the book of Ruth is that it's real. These are real people dealing with circumstances that we still face today, and we have the opportunity to, to come out of those stories one of two ways. We can become bitter and judgmental and God is whatever, or we can come out and say, God is just working his plan and I'm going to choose to trust God no matter what. That's exactly what we find here because a lot of us go through adversity. A lot of us go through stress and we become bitter at times. And if that's you today, then the book of Ruth was written just for you. Whether you're a man or a woman or you're single or you're married or whether you're a mom or a dad or you want to be one day, God will enable you to leave a legacy of grace and redemption if we allow him to. And if you're a parent, please clue in with me just for a minute. Make sure your kids know this. 
Make sure your kids learn to see the redemptive part of God's story. Make sure that they understand what God is doing, even in spite of the fact that we don't know all that's going on. But I think there are three things that we can learn from Ruth and Naomi that will really help us leave a legacy of faith, a legacy of redemption, one of grace and second chances. Well, the first thing, it's already written in your outline. Point number one is stick together. Stick together. Um, when, Ruth and, when Ruth and Naomi are, are in Moab and, it, and, it's, and Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem and I'm, 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 I'm going to go and, and I want you to go home. And, and Ruth says, I'm not going to go. In fact, probably the most famous verse ever written in the book of Ruth is Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And that's basically where Ruth says, right, where you go, I'll go. Your people, have you read this? You know this verse I'm talking about? Your people are my people. Where you live, I'll live. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. You know, but what is she saying? That we are attached at the hip. We, we are together. We're, we're family now, and family sticks together, right? When bitterness comes, when hard times come, when adversity comes, we stick together because, because we're family. And if that means we have to move, <laughs> then we're going to move. And if that means I have to do things that I don't really want to do, well, then that's what I'm going to do because we're family and we stick together. Now, moms, listen up. There is something here for you because I heard it said that if the father is the head of the household, then the mom is the heart of the household. And your heart comes through and it spreads across the entire home. You encourage and you instill and you make sure that your children know that no matter what, we're family and we get through this together instill that camaraderie and that teamwork and that attitude that says we will get through this together. It's not us versus them. It's not adults versus kids. It's not dad versus mom. It's us. We're together. We're one. The very attitude Ruth displays to Naomi. Now, my parents were here last night. They're my, they're my heroes. My parents, I know I'm dumb, but they're, they're my heroes. And, and I remember growing up, my brother and I used to fight like crazy. We used to wrestle and we used to I knocked his teeth out one time. It was lots of fun. Lots of fun. Well, for me, it was lots of fun. And, um, but I never have to doubt where me and my brother stood. If, if I ever needed my brother for anything, he was my brother, and he would step up and help me. My brother was always there for me when hard times came. Always. He lives in Lexington now, and if I needed my brother tomorrow morning, then I have no doubts that my brother would be here tomorrow morning. And vice versa for my brother. If Aaron needed me, I, w- I-, I would be there. Because that's the way our parents raised us. That's the way that my mom and dad instilled this, we are one. It doesn't matter. We we may disagree, but we're one family inside. We go to the mat for one another. And that's the glue, that's the glue that sticks within the family unit, that we are attached at the hip. We have one another's back because that's the only way that we can get through some of the challenges and the grief that comes our way. We all need someone we can count on. Perhaps this week you... um, you heard on the radio or read in the paper about, about this young man at the grocery store at Kroger. I love Kroger. I, I take my kids. We go there oftentimes just for the free cookies. And so it's, it's great. It's great. Um, but this, this young man, sweet, you know, caring young man, he had just two items and he puts them on the grocery cart or puts them on the checkout line. And there's a lady in front of him who's got quite a, quite a few groceries. And every now and again, she would look back at him and just kind of get emotional in her eyes. And you could tell that she's having an emotional moment. And she keeps looking at him and then looking away and then looking back. And finally, this caring man said, he said, ma'am, is, is everything okay? And she said, um, yeah, um, but you remind me of my son. You look just like him. 
And he said, well, you know, tell me about your son. Is he, is he, and she said, well, he passed away kind of tragically recently. And I never really got the chance to say goodbye. And you, you look just like him. And so he was getting a little emotional. Again, he's a kind, gentle man. And you look just like him. And then she continued to check out. And she said, you know what? Could you do me a favor? He said, ma'am, I'll do anything. What, what can I do? And she said, when I leave the grocery store, can you just say goodbye, mom? Just kind of give me a closure moment, just of goodbye, mom. He said, of course. And so she gets her groceries in the cart and goes to the, the door and stops just before the doors open, right? Just before the doors open. And she says, goodbye, son. And he says, goodbye, mom. And he turns around to pay for his two items, and the grocery clerk says, that'll be $147. And he said, what, I just have two items. And he said, yeah, but your mom said you were going to pay. And so, oh, she was ruthless. She, don't, who's booing? I heard somebody boo. Don't, we don't need to go that far. We go that far. But we all deal with adversity. We all go through hard times. But it's how we respond in those moments. It's how we act. It's how we, it's our outlook on life. Those are the things that get us through. It's relying on our family, that attitude, that togetherness that says we're going to get through this and we need to give grace to each other. A lot, a lot of grace. Because look at your family. Look at mine. Nobody's perfect. We all got our our hangups. We all got our hurts. We're all broken people. But give each other grace. And that's exactly what Naomi and Ruth demonstrated when Ruth said, your people are my people. And as they enter Jerusalem, Naomi is basically saying, these are your people now. These are your family now. We've made the journey together. This is your family. Well, there's a second principle. Um, And it's the principle that just basically says stand with God. Number one, we stick together. The second thing we do is we stand with God. We're leaving a legacy for our our family. We're going to pass this on to others, but we're going to stick together, and we're going to stand with God. And I'm sure this wasn't very easy to do for this Jewish mother. I mean, after all, on the surface, on the surface, life is just spiraling out of control. And I'm sure on the inside she is saying, God, if this is how you treat those who love you, God, if this is how you treat people who serve you, then how do you treat your enemies? How do you treat those who don't know you? I'm sure Naomi's got to be thinking, Lord, this surely is not part of the plan. Surely there's something that I'm missing because why would you do this to me? A lot of us say stuff like that. Lord, if only. If only that light turned red just a fraction of a set sooner. Lord, if only they would have caught that in time, then. Lord, if you were only fill in the blank. A lot of us say stuff like that. We need to have eyes to see that the Lord is always at work. And he takes these circumstances that seem to be so tragic and spiraling. He takes these circumstances and he makes something good come out of it because it's his plan that's unfolding. That's what we see. What we see next is the Lord was at work from the very beginning because Ruth goes to work in the field of Boaz. And Boaz was, a, was an upright man. He was an honest man. He was a businessman. And he allowed the people to come into the fields and glean the fields. And somewhere along the way, Ruth caught the eye of Boaz. And Boaz had his moment to himself. And Ruth goes home and she tells Naomi, hey, I met this guy Boaz and I would really like to marry him. I, I really think it would be good for us. And Naomi says, well, go tell Boaz how you feel. Go tell him exactly how you feel. So she does. 
And Boaz, she had, so there's this whole moment there in, in, in Ruth where Ruth is explaining her feelings to Boaz and, 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 and all those kind of things. But, but Boaz basically says, well, this is music to my ears because, Ruth, I've, I've seen you too, and so let's, let's get married. But there's a problem because in Jewish history, because of the way that the lineage worked, if there was a brother or there was a man or someone who died in the family, there was a, a rule that the next in line had to marry, you know, had to marry the, the widow in order to continue the family line so that they... The uh, inheritance wouldn't be lost, and so that the name doesn't fall out of the annals of history and all those kind of things. But there was, somebody, there was somebody who was in line before Boaz, someone who was in line. Boaz goes to them and kind of basically makes a business offer. He says, hey, you're in line to marry Ruth. I want to do that, so, so you need to marry Ruth. And the guy says, I don't really want to do that right now because of the, the financial state of my place. And Boaz says, no problem. I'm next in line. I'll marry the family. And that's exactly what happens. And so Boaz now ends up marrying Ruth. Well, let's just read it together, can't we? Ruth chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. You read in your Bibles, I'll read out loud. This is the story. The story, the story gives us Boaz's intentions on marrying Ruth. This gives us the snapshot. Here we go. Ruth chapter 4. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are my, you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Ilielmic, Kilion, and Mahalan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalan's widow and wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead and his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family and his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built the family of Israel. Boaz says, I'll buy the property. I'll marry Ruth. I'll redeem her. And that's exactly what Boaz does. And so here's a principle that we find in the story. That when you stand with God, sometimes in the most unusual way, the most unusual things will come to pass as God unfolds his story. When we stand with God, sometimes in the most unusual ways, the most unusual things will happen because it's God who unveils the story. And so from the very beginning, Satan wanted to Satan wanted this family line to die out. He wanted this family line to just be extinct from the annals of history. But God had another plan. And it took a famine in Bethlehem, and it took the death of a family in order for them to come back home so that the Lord could continue to unfold his plan. And Ruth meets Boaz, and they end up, they end up getting married, and everything changes because of that. I know that God has given all of us this kind of innate ability to be able to take whatever hand we are dealt and use it as a platform for His glory. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, God can use that as a platform for His glory if we allow Him to. Because it's God's story, it's not our story. And from the very beginning, God is preparing us for a platform for His glory. And we are all on a journey, we're all moving in that direction. And how we respond in those ups and downs moments, how we respond speaks to a very significant part of your legacy. What kind of legacy do you leave? One of bitterness, one of anger, or one of redemption, one of grace, of it's just part of God's plan. Because believe it or not, we are all playing in God's story. We all have a role to play, each one of us. Now, sometimes we don't know the end of the story, and that's okay, but it's God's story. And we can't invite God to be part of the story just on Sundays or just when it's convenient. We have to 
invite God to be a part of our lives every single day so that when hard times comes, when they come, and they will come, but when they come, we are prepared because God is walking with us. It's not a knee-jerk reaction, but God is walking with us through the story. And we are much less apt to let life's circumstances knock us off our purpose when it comes to that. Well, here's the, the third principle. Principle number three is stay with God's plan. Stay with God's plan. God has a plan for you. He does. And there's a tendency, though, to think that maybe I know better that I know what I want to do, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do these things, but God has a plan for you. And sometimes we are tempted to deviate from the Lord's blueprint. Sometimes we're tempted to, to go away from what it is that the Lord wants us to do, but we need to trust Him and trust that He knows what He's doing because He's a loving Father. He's a loving parent who, who wants to guide His children in, into what is best for them and for the kingdom, for His kingdom. Now, parents, you know all about strategy, right? You know all about plans because, after all, if you have multiple kids, how do you get to a softball game and then gymnastics and volleyball all at the same day? You have to have plans. You have to have a strategy in order to get all of those things done, and so does the Lord. The Lord is the one who is responsible for turning around difficult circumstances. It's the Lord's job to set things right. It's not our job. It's the Lord's job. We need to have eyes to trust and to see that he is at work and that he will do what is best for his story and for his family. And that's exactly what Ruth and Naomi did. And that's exactly what enabled them to leave a legacy of redemption and not bitterness, was they saw the Lord's hand at work and they trusted that the Lord knew what he was doing. Let's continue on in the story. Now things get really good because now the story really changes. Ruth and Naomi, they come back. She marries Boaz and now everything is just about to change. Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, look, 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 look. In your Bibles, in your Bibles, look, look, look. Ruth chapter 4, the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your family and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Now this is not a reference to Boaz. This is a reference to the baby. And not only is there transformation inside of Ruth, but there's also transformation in the life of Naomi. Because remember when we first meet Naomi, as they come back to Bethlehem, remember, remember when we first meet them, she doesn't want to be known as Naomi anymore. She wants to be known as Mara, right? Because she's bitter, she's broken, she's hurt. But here, she doesn't correct them and say, remember, my name's not Naomi. She doesn't do that. Why? Because a baby changes everything. She's not bitter anymore. A baby changes everything. Now, some of you know this. We got some staff who are expecting some, expecting some children, and they will tell you a baby changes everything. Not just in outlook and perspective, but sleeping schedules and food schedules and all those kind of things. A baby changes everything. And so it does here with Naomi. Verse 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for her. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, this isn't Naomi's son. This is, this is Ruth's son. But when Boaz came to be the redeemer, when he came to redeem the family, to, to sustain the family line, he redeemed both ladies, not just Ruth, but also 
Naomi's family line. So in a sense, it is her son, even though it's her grandson. Now, can't you just see in your mind's eye, can't you just see this grandma holding her grandson, just sitting there probably just weeping as she now sees all that the Lord has done? I can see in my mind's eye, she's a grandma now, and everything is changed because of the son, because of the baby. She's sitting there rocking the baby, and I'm sure she's just making those crazy faces like grandmas do, probably got some peppermints in her purse for the child, or who knows what. But there she is. The Lord knew in advance all that was going to happen, and he prepared in advance the good that was going to come out of such a tragic circumstance. Because Satan, from before, Satan wanted to destroy this family line. He wanted it just to to disappear. But the Lord and the way the Lord works and his plan and his timing, it, it played out in such a different way than what Satan intended. Because God was at work and nothing can stop the plans of the Lord. So parents, teach this to your children. His plans are not always obvious, but the Lord has a plan His plan might not be ours, but his timing, I'm sorry, his plan may take longer than ours, but his timing is always perfect. His plan might take us down a different route than we would ever go on, but it will get us where he wants us to go. His plan might not entail a lot of glory for ourselves, but it will unfold so that he gets the glory and that people are drawn to him. And here's the principle. Don't let the world's circumstances knock you off your eternal purpose. Don't let the world knock you off your purpose. Your purpose and my purpose is to point everyone we know to the Lord. And how we raise our kids and how we conduct ourselves and how we do business, that's our job. Don't let the bitter things and the awful things and the things that come up in this life deter you from that goal. Don't let the world's circumstances knock you off your eternal purpose. Because throughout your life, you will face undoubtedly all sorts of challenges. And the way that you deal with trials and the way that you deal with these have an impact on your family. And how you respond is how your children and your family, it's how they respond. If you are always critical, then guess what? Your children are probably going to be critical. If you're always complaining about your health or about your weight or about, then guess what? Your kids are going to struggle with those very same things. If you're honest and upright and you treat people fairly, then chances are your people are, your, your, your children are going to treat people fairly. I'm not making this up. This is absolutely true. My daughter, Bella, who's right over here, she wanted to go out for pizza the other night. And she said, let's go out for pizza. And then she said in the very next voice, but we probably don't have any money to go out for pizza. At 12 years old, 11 years old, how, how sad is that? I want to go do something, but we probably don't have money to go get pizza. You know where she gets that? From too many Amazon purchases. That's where she gets that. We never have money to do anything. The stupid Amazon man keeps coming to my house. She gets it from me. We don't have money to do these kind of things. Well, that's probably too expensive to go to Holiday World for the weekend. And that's how my kids respond. I hate that. But it's how, it's what they see in me is what they emulate. And this principle is played out over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And I see it every day in the lives of people here in this church and outside of this church. Parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children about the redemptive nature of the cross. We have a responsibility to honor and be trustworthy people. And that gets played down to our children and potentially our grandchildren. And you never know what a legacy that we will leave because we choose to point people to Jesus. 
and we choose to honor him with the words that we say and the actions that we take. It's amazing what will happen. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, how our kids pick up on our nature and our behavior. This is what we see here in the story. Christ comes to redeem. Christ has come to bring those into a relationship with him. Romans 8.28 tells us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, it says. And from the very beginning, God was at work in this story. So each of us must face life with an understanding that what is going on is not some glitch in the program, but it's all part of the plan. The hardships and the good things that come, it's not some glitch in the program. It's not, did God mess up? It's all part of God's plan because God is all about unfolding his plan and you and I are characters in his story. We have a role to play. We have something to contribute to the kingdom moving forward. And no matter our past, no matter the mistakes or the hurts or the hangups, no matter the past, whatever, the Lord is about redeeming that and turning it into something good for us and for his kingdom. Because being a believer doesn't mean that you are shielded from the storms, but it helps you to see that God is there with you in the storms, that God can heal your hurts and that God can heal your broken heart. I've been there. We've all been there. But I got to be real honest with you. I got to be brutally honest with you that sometimes the baby doesn't come on this side of heaven. Sometimes the answer is not as obvious as it is that we see here in the story where everything changes. Sometimes that doesn't happen until we get to the other side. And if we never have eyes to see, we will trust that God knows what he is doing. We will trust in the sovereignty of God that he is unveiling the story at just the right time. Because we trust God in that, we also know that there is a prince of darkness. In fact, the Bible says that he has come to kill, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Satan's job is to try to stop God's plan. He wants to stop God's plan from happening and being unfolded. But the Lord is one step ahead. He's always one step ahead because that's what he does. I mean, after all, how do you explain God using this, this Moab woman, this godless woman who worshiped many gods, how else do you explain God using her to redeem all people? And I'm not making that up, and I'm not saying that lightly. God used Ruth and Naomi to redeem all people, including you and including me. Because sometimes in the early chapters of people's lives, we have to ask, God, what are you doing? But the Lord uses those early chapters to play significant roles for his kingdom. Here's exactly what I mean. There's more to the story. Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible says, The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Yeah, that David, like King David. Generations later, generations later this grandson born, this grandson would, would come to the throne in Israel, and he would reign for 40 years. For 40 years, he would reign in Israel, one of the most successful kings of Israel Israel had ever known. In fact, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And it became quite clear, generations later, that God knew what he was doing. So from the very beginning, this family leaves Bethlehem, they go to Moab, the family dies, they go back to Bethlehem, and all along, God is preserving the way for his people because a few generations later, there was another baby who was born in the very same town of Bethlehem, born to the very same line of Ruth and Boaz, like King David, and he too was born a king. So it is with Jesus. 
the very same town, the very same family, the very same lineage, Jesus is born. God used this Moabite pagan woman to provide and redeem all of mankind. And you look back on the story and you see all that God was doing and preparing that family from a famine in Bethlehem. He's preparing the family. And so it's quite clear now why Satan wanted this this line to kind of die out in history. Because if it does, King David's never born. And if King David's never born, then the lineage of Jesus never comes. But the Lord was at work and the Lord had a plan. Now, I know that I'm speaking to a number of people who feel like you have made monumental mistakes in your life. And in your heart, you may feel like you are irredeemable. How could God ever use my past to turn it into something good? And somehow Satan has caused you to believe that lie because it's a lie. The lie is that God can never work within the dysfunction of your family tree. That's a lie because God can redeem all things. And I've got good news for you. If you allow God to work in your life, then he will redeem you and he will redeem your family. And forever, generations will be changed because we have allowed the Lord to work in our family tree. I know this to be true. You know, before we leave Ruth and before we close the service, um, many of you know, several of you know, if you've traveled with me or if we've had a chance to have personal conversations, you know I'm a fan of history. I, I love history. I love the opportunity to go to historical places, and I love the opportunity to read historical books and meet, you know, people who know a lot about history. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. I often quote history, you know, to people in my office, and they roll their eyes and make fun of me, and it kind of hurts my feelings, but that's okay. Um, I got my big boy pants on, so I'll be all right. Um, well, um, I was, this is so funny, I literally was reading the other day the genealogy of Jesus, and, and I know, you know, you got, here you got the Gospels, and you got all the miracles, and Jesus, and Lazarus there, you know, and John 14, Jesus makes the very famous claim that he's the only way to heaven, and then, you know, you got the resurrection, and all this kind of stuff. Well, how many people camp out on the, on the genealogy of Jesus? Well, just, just me, I guess. I was reading Matthew chapter 1 the other day, and if you, and if you read the genealogy of Jesus, then you know that there's probably 100 people who are listed there, 100 people. This guy was the father of this guy who was the father of this guy. And what Matthew's doing, he's just showing this royal lineage of Jesus. You know, Jesus came from Adam, and here's the way. Jesus came from David, and here's the way. You know, Jesus came from Judah, and here, here's the way. You know, all these kind of things that the Old Testament prophesies. Matthew was writing and saying, here's how it all fits. Here's how it all works. Well, I was reading that the other day, and you know that, did you know this? That there are five women who are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, there's probably 100 dudes listed there, but there's, there's only, five, only five women. Now, the first one is pretty easy to guess who it was, right? It's, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. That one's, that one's pretty easy. Yeah, Mary, yeah, we got that one. But there are, there are four others, four others. And you probably know this because you're all really smart people. Num- number one is Tamar. And if you know the story of Tamar out of the Old Testament, then you know Tamar committed incest by uh, sleeping with her father-in-law. It's a little weird. I don't know that that's something you really want to put on the family tree, but it's there. The second person we meet, the second person um, is Rahab. And if you know Rahab's story, then you know that she was the prostitute from Jericho, that when the spies Joshua and Caleb went in, she gave them shelter, right? She protected them. And in return, they helped her get out of the city before it was destroyed. Rahab was the prostitute, and she had a son. You know Rahab's son's name? His name was Boaz, the very same Boaz that we're reading here in the story, the very same one. And and then the next woman that we read is Ruth, right? And Ruth was this godless pagan woman from Moab who the Lord used to provide the redemptive nature for all of his people. So she's she's the third person that we read. 
And then the fourth person we read is Bathsheba. And if you know Bathsheba's story, that she committed adultery with King David, the very same David that we just read here in verse 17, with with the same one. So one has got to ask the question, why does Matthew include these five women in the, in the story, in the genealogy? Because if it's my story, my grandmother loves genealogy. If it's my story, then those are names you kind of want to leave out. Because you don't want history to look back and say, geez, they're associated with that family? Those are kind of people you kind of want to glance over, right? But, but why does the writer include, why does Matthew include those, include those in the story? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because God wants every single person, male and female, moms and dads, marrieds and singles, and young and old people, God wants them all to know that regardless of what you have done in your past, or regardless of what's going on in your present, or regardless of the dysfunction in your family tree, God can redeem it, and God can use you. Your background, it doesn't matter. The Lord can use that as a platform. The Lord can use you and your family if we let him, and that's the message that we need to pass. That's this legacy of faith and this legacy of redemption that, that, that we need to pass on to others. Because God is a God of second chances. And in short, redemption is for every single one of us. And Jesus is waiting to do just that in our life and just that in our families. If we allow him to, that is the legacy of faith that we leave for others. I know this to be true. I've seen this in family after family after family. Saturday night, I'm not making this up, Saturday night, a woman came forward Saturday night. She's just sobbing, just sobbing. And I, I, I sat there and I prayed with her and, and I, I hugged with her for a little bit. And she, I just want God to redeem my family, she said. I just want God to redeem my family. It was this touching moment, right? Well, it was right over here, right over here. God can do it if we allow him to. Now, Brian's gonna come and we're gonna sing some songs. And, and our decision counselors, are, they're going to come up here. And, and if you need God to work in your family, let me phrase that another way. If you want to pray for God to work in your family, will you come forward here in just a moment? And if you need to know Jesus, this, this baby, and he really was the one that changed everything. Now, the first baby, yeah, absolutely so. But the second baby, born in the same town, the same family, the second baby, Jesus, he changed everything because of the faithfulness of Ruth and Naomi. And forever, their family tree was changed. God can do that. He did it in the past. God can do that in your family, no matter your circumstances, no matter the background, no matter the dysfunction. God can do amazing things when we let him have control.